One spiritual need that we all have is a need for deep spiritual transformation, for spiritual change in our lives. Just two days ago, I had a young man sent me a text early in the morning and saying that he urgently needed to get together with me that day. So he came and saw me at the office later, and he gave me permission to, to share this. And he, he came into my office. He was really broken about just stuff that had gone on, choices that he had made. He was desperate, and he, he looked at me after telling me what had gone on. He looked at me and said, Christian, this is not the man that I am. I don't want to be like this. I don't want to be like this. And what he said is, I want change. And I told him, I said, you know, you can make changes in the patterns that you're in. But really what you need is deep spiritual change so that your earthly reality can be changed. I don't know where you are right now. Maybe you are like me. Sometimes you look at your life and you look at the choices you make, the decisions you make, the things you say, and you think, oh, that's not me. Or at least I, I don't want to be that to be me. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. I feel like that sometimes. Do you? You know what? If you do, I hope and pray that this morning is a morning that will encourage you and give you hope that you don't have to be like that. That change can happen. Transformation, divine transformation in earthly bodies can happen. And it can happen in your life. And so I would like to go back to this passage in 2 Corinthians. I want to read it again. Yes, all 11 verses. Let's read them one more time and really zero in on that. And then I'm going to, I know it's not an easy passage, but I'm going to try and just shed some light onto this passage. So let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. All right, so before we get into the specifics of this passage, which isn't easy, 
to understand. I think we need to look into the background of some of what, what um, Paul is describing here and talking about. And, and I want to clarify a few terms. First, I want to tell you a little bit about what he's referring to. He's talking about Moses and these letters engraved on stone and glory and veils and so on. He's referring to a story of Moses. When Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt, where they were in slavery and bondage to the Egyptians, God miraculously uh, frees them from Egypt. And, and so they're now on their way to the promised land. They're in the desert. And God wants to set them apart as his people from the other nations around them. The way he did that is he gave them the law. So he called Moses up on the mountain. And Moses actually met with God. He was in the presence of God. And the presence of God was so all-consuming that it, that it was obviously reflected on Moses. When he came back down the mountain, the glory so shone off of Moses that it was too much for the people to see. He had to veil his face. Really, he had to veil his face. You know why? Because the people of Israel had rebelled against God and had sinned against God. And sin cannot coexist with God. And so he had to cover this, the, the sign, the manifestation of God's presence because the Israelites couldn't stand it. They wouldn't be able to live through it because sin cannot live in the presence of God. So Moses got the law and it's referred to here as the ministry that brought death. And yet it was glorious. So the, I want to try and explain that a little bit. The, the, the law is explained as the ministry that brought death because the law brought to the surface that it's impossible to live up to God's standards. And if, you're, if it's impossible to live up to God's standards, how can we be accepted by God if we can't live up to his standards? That's how the law brought death and condemnation. But at the same time, with, with bringing that realization that, that the Israelites could not live up to God's standards, it also brought the realization for the need for forgiveness and a savior. See, the law set the Israelites up and us today with the realization we cannot do this on our own. We need forgiveness, we need grace, and we need a savior. And so the law was still glorious because it represented God. See, the word glory, it's all through this passage. You know what glory literally means? The, the, the definition of the word glory means an objective manifestation of God's presence. That's what glory means. Glory means an objective, obvious, undeniable manifestation of God's presence. So whenever God is at work and it's undeniable and it's recognizable, that's glorious. And so the law was glorious because it revealed God's justice and his power to the people of Israel. Glory is whenever God's presence is obviously manifested. That's why, you know, when you're, when you're in the presence of unbelievable creation, whether it's up here in the mountains or wherever you enjoy creation, to me often the word glorious comes up because to me creation is an obvious, undeniable manifestation of God's presence and his power. Sometimes... To me, most tangibly, when I experience this, when I experience God's glory, the obvious manifestation of his presence, 
is sometimes after I get to speak, and I think Dave would say the same thing, more often than not, when we come to speak from God's word, we feel very insufficient, very ill-equipped. More often than not, when we walk off this stage, we feel defeated. I feel like, man, how, God, how could you speak to anybody? And then we hear back from you, saying, man, God really spoke to me this morning. And I'm just going, well, well that wasn't me. That is God's presence. That's his undeniable presence. That's God's glory. And that's why it's really almost inappropriate to refer to sports victories as glorious because glory is reserved for God. It's a, it's a term reserved for him. And it will become very important as we go through this passage, especially when we get to verse 18, because it talks about that we are being transformed with increasing glory. So somehow, a term that's reserved for God will become applicable for you and me. And we will get to that a little later. Another term in this passage that I want to talk about quickly is the Spirit. It talks about the Spirit and the ministry of the Spirit as opposed to the ministry of the law. And when it talks about the Spirit here, it's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity, God himself. And, you know, the Holy Spirit is a topic that's often neglected in our church. It's not talked about very much and often not understood very much. And we don't have, have time to really go into all the details of that this morning. But interestingly enough, as I was preparing for this message, just this last week I started reading a book with a couple of friends. And it's called The Forgotten God by Francis Chan. And yesterday I drove all over the valley to every bookstore that I could grab a copy from. And I was able to find 11 Okay, between Christian bookstores and Barnes and & Noble, we have 11 copies here this morning. We paid $15 for them. We'll sell them to you for $15 there at the, at the bookstore. So grab one quickly. They'll be gone quickly. It's an incredible book. Talking about the forgotten God because often it seems like the church has forgotten about the Holy Spirit. But that's who he's talking about here. The ministry of the Holy Spirit that is glorious and more glorious than the ministry of the law. Why? Because it lasts. Because it lasts. So the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they have different roles. The Holy Spirit's role is to be God's presence in this world, God's presence in you, in your life. And his role is to, to convict and to lead. And he will always, always point to Jesus. Actually, Jesus referred to him as his substitute. Before he left this earth in John chapter 16, we won't have this on the screen, but I want to read it to you quickly, is where Jesus describes the Holy Spirit and what he will do. In John 16, maybe just write down the reference, verses 7 through 8, he says to his disciples, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you, the counselor being the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And then in verses 13 through 15 in the same chapter, he says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what, he, what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. 
All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. So Jesus says the Holy Spirit is my substitute and it's good for you that I go and he comes. In his book, Francis Chan says, you know, a lot of us, if we had the choice of having Jesus be our permanent sidekick, our, our life advisor, who's always physically with us, so we don't have to wear a WWJD bracelet, but we can just say WWY do, what would you do? And he would be kind of our life caddy in all situations. And we could choose either that or the Holy Spirit indwelling our lives, most of us would probably choose to have Jesus with us constantly. But you know what? I already have him, so you can't. Because physically, Jesus was limited to one place at a time. That's why he said, it's good for me to go. And for you to get the Holy Spirit, it's an improvement for you guys. And later on, he actually says, through him, you will do greater things than I. Any of you? Doing greater things than Jesus? Something's off. Somewhere we have forgotten about the Holy Spirit. So we want to talk about that this morning. So let's, let's dive into, into this passage. And there's really two main thoughts I want to share with you this morning. And the first one comes from verse 9. In 2 Corinthians 3 verse 9. If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, again the law... How much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? Interesting. Because you would think, he talks about righteousness and how the ministry of the Spirit brings righteousness. Wouldn't you think that keeping the law makes you righteous? Right? That's what righteousness is, right? Doing the right thing. See, and that's exactly the point. He says, you cannot make yourself righteous. The first thought that I want to share with you is that you and I, we cannot transform ourselves. We cannot transform ourselves. He talks about the ministry that condemns the law. Again, it condemns because it shows us that it's impossible to live up to. We cannot attain righteousness by trying to keep the law because we'll always fall short will always fall short. It shows us our insufficiency and our need for forgiveness and a Savior. And it also shows us God's holiness. It shows us that if we fall short, we cannot have community with God. He's holy and He's perfect. And He cannot have imperfection in His presence. He's just. That's why the ministry of the law condemns but then the ministry of the Spirit brings righteousness. And that's the, the whole point. is that only the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life transforms you into a righteous person that's acceptable by God. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. It's not works. It's not what you do. It's not keeping a list of requirements and lists of do's and don'ts. It's not your actions that will bring you approval by God and acceptance by Him. Your actions will never bring about the spiritual transformation that you really need. Your actions can transform parts of your life, but it will always be short-lived and superficial. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God's presence. It's, it's Jesus actually in your life that brings righteousness because he's the only one that was righteous. 
And so if you have received Jesus and accepted his forgiveness and, and his life into your life, then when God looks at you, he sees Jesus and his righteousness. He doesn't see you and your shortcomings anymore because you've been filled with the life of Jesus. And that's what he sees. And it's his presence through the Holy Spirit that makes you righteous once and for all. That's why it says here, it's, it's a ministry that lasts. It doesn't need to be kept up and maintained. It's once and for all. God calls the Holy Spirit the, the seal on our lives. We're sealed for him. And no one can break what God has sealed. See, you and I, we can't bring about the spiritual transformation that we need. We cannot bring about bodily transformation. Some of us have done that. We can make lifestyle changes. We can lose weight. We can, we can get more active. We can eat healthier. Right? We can make better choices. We can quit smoking. All those things are good. They bring about good changes. More often than not, they don't last. I tell you, my wife is scared to death that this won't last. She's like, well, let's wait a year and see, see if this will last. You know. But the results are always up to us and our discipline, and our decisions. And they're always superficial. They're always superficial. Only God, through the Holy Spirit, brings about deep transformation, deep spiritual transformation that you need and that lasts. And that's the transformation from guilt to forgiveness. That's the transformation from bondage to freedom. The transformation from sadness to joy and the transformation from meaninglessness to a life of purpose. Those are transformations that you and I can't bring about. Only Jesus through the Holy Spirit can do that. You and I cannot bring about transformation. The one who brings about that transformation and who keeps transforming us it's the Holy Spirit. And I want to skip down to verse 18 with you in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory means unveiled faces. There's nothing that, that hinders God's presence to be reflected in you. There's no more veil. We're being transformed into his likeness, into Jesus' likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. See, there's, there's really two transformations, spiritual transformations that are, I want to point out. There's one, one-time transformation that takes place at the moment when you decide Jesus was the Son of God. He died for my sins and my forgiveness, and he rose again to give me life, and I want to accept that into my life. That's a once-in-a-lifetime It's it's almost more a transfer than a transformation. It, a transfer happens from now to here, and you're being transferred from being an enemy of God to being a, a friend of God, from being a stranger to God to being his child, from being lost to being saved, to use churchy terms. That's a once-in-a-lifetime transfer that takes place when you accept Jesus. But here in verse 18, it's talking about an ongoing, continuous transformation of our lives into the likeness of Jesus. It's, it's in the passive. You, you are being transformed. Somebody else is transforming you on and on and on. We're being transformed into his, into Jesus' likeness with ever-increasing glory. 
You know what that means? That means that we, as we are in the process of following Jesus, should more and more become like Jesus. And that we should become more and more God's objective, undeniable manifestation of his presence in the world around us. It says you're being transformed with ever-increasing glory. What is glory? Glory is an obvious manifestation of God's presence. You and I, as we follow Jesus, are supposed to become more and more obvious manifestations of God's presence in our lives to anybody around us. So it's time to ask ourselves, it was time for me to ask myself this week, if I'm a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you have accepted his forgiveness and his life into yours, if you've committed to following him, do you feel like you live in that power of the Holy Spirit that it's talking about, the power of the Holy Spirit that is so obviously manifested in your life? You know, the Holy Spirit is the power, the Bible tells us, that raised Jesus from the dead. Can you think of anything more powerful than bringing life out of death? Now I want to know, who, who here feels that they're really living in that kind of power, in that kind of supernatural power in their life on a daily basis? I know I don't. There's glimpses here and there. See, that's why Francis Chan calls this book The Forgotten God. It's almost like we have forgotten about the Holy Spirit. We're so content with, with getting people to accept Jesus and getting saved and a ticket to heaven. And then we're okay, and then we're content. Where's the power of God that lives in us, that raised Jesus from the dead? Where is that power transforming us to the point where people can't help but see God when they see you in my life? I think we're often so content with just receiving God's forgiveness that we don't seek to live in his power. When we as Christians live meek and, and weak and defeated lives, I think there's only three possible options for that to happen. First one is God must have lied about the power of the Holy Spirit. That's one option, that, that he really doesn't have the power he tells us he does. So I don't think that's an option. I'm going to table this one. The second one is, well, maybe we haven't really committed to following Jesus. Maybe we haven't really received the Holy Spirit in our lives. Maybe it's, it's just a confession with our lips, but not a conviction of our hearts. I don't know. I think the third one is the most prevalent. The third one, I think, is the ailment that we as a church suffer from the most. And that is that we just don't give the Holy Spirit the room in our lives that he wants and needs to work that transformation that becomes so obvious. Do you think that, that we're okay so often with spiritual mediocrity? That we don't pursue what God wants to do in our lives, that we don't give the Holy Spirit the room to unleash its power in our lives. And there's several ways, I think, that we do that, that we keep the Holy Spirit at bay. One we see here in this passage when he refers back to Israelites who couldn't stand the presence of God. Why? Because there was sin and rebellion in their lives. 
Remember, God's presence and sin can't go together. If you have willful sin in your life, and sin is anything that is not in accordance with God's will. If there is willful sin in your life, the presence of God and sin in your life can't go together. The Holy Spirit cannot work if there is willful sin in your life. He will convict for a while until you push it aside long enough and you become dull like the Israelites did. So the first, the first solution to that is confession and repentance. It talks about here a veil on their hearts. If there's a veil on your heart because of sin, the only way to lift that is by conviction, confession, and repentance. I know very churchy terms, but that's what it is. It's being convicted that what, what I'm doing, saying, thinking is wrong. And coming to God and say, God, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, forgive me. And then repentant means not just being sorry, but turning away. Repentance literally means turning 180 degrees and walking the other direction. Walking away from it. I want to try and illustrate that and what that does in your life. If, think of your life as a house with different rooms, different aspects of your lives that, that represent different areas of your life. You know, you have a front porch in a living room where visitors come in, people you don't know very well. By, by confessing, let me, by conf, what you do by confessing is you open a door to a room in your house of life and you allow the Holy Spirit to come in and remodel, to tear out the old and bring in the new. And it's a beautiful process. If you've ever remodeled the house, there's a lot of heartache with that. And this isn't easy, but it's a beautiful process to take the old out and the mold and the smell that comes with it and bring in the new. It's beautiful. It's transformational. See, that's what confession does. You, you open a door into a room that you didn't let God's presence in before. And he comes in and he tears out and he makes new. And that's easier with some rooms than others. Like I said, the living room, you know, it's kind of the room where public is allowed in, friends, you know, my small group can come in there. It's my, my, my public phase where people see my actions and so on. But then it, it goes to the next level, the family room. You know, the, my life with my wife and my kids. Wow, God, so often I'm not the husband and father I need to be here. Let me open this door and let him come in and renovate and remodel. Okay, that room is okay, isn't it? Then we, we can all do that. Well, then, it, then there's the door to the bedroom. And that's the room that's real intimate. That's where, where not even my kids really go in there much. That's, that's the intimate stuff, the real private stuff. But you know what? The Holy Spirit wants in there too. And so we open that door and God comes and remodels. And then a lot of us have a, a secret closet. You know, where the real secrets are kept from even the closest people, the things we, we don't want people to know. God wants to clean that up too. You see, with each room that we open, with each confession and repentance that we bring, God possesses more of us. He invades more of us. He renews and remodels more of us. 
And the more we do that, the more we will be transformed into Jesus' likeness because that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is Jesus in us. And by giving him room, he brings in Jesus into the different areas of your and my life and transforms us more into his likeness with ever-increasing glory so that we can more and more and more represent God and his presence to the people around us. So sin in our lives is probably the number one issue that keeps the Holy Spirit from really taking possession of us and transforming us into who God wants us to be. And the second one I've already touched on, I think, is contentment. Contentment that we have. You know, contentment is the end of all progress in every area. Contentment is the end of all progress, and contentment is the end of all spiritual progress. And so often, as a church, I think today, we're so content. Content with where we're at. Content with what we have. We're happy with with where we're at. But God isn't. He has so much more for you and for me to experience. And I, I hear Dave Nelson say oftentimes, I want everything that God has for me. I want to live that full life that he talks about in his word. But we can only do that if we give him our full life. If we keep seeking, if we don't start getting complacent and content where we're at, but keep seeking more of what he has for you and for me. And one of the solutions to that is being in community with each other. And surrounding ourselves with people that we see really are led by the Holy Spirit and are being transformed more and more into Jesus. I have a a guy like that in my life, a couple of guys like that, who I look up to, who I know have, have, have lived a longer life than I have and are living in deep community with God and the Holy Spirit. And by being around them, it keeps me from becoming content but to strive after what they are already experiencing. So community with each other is one of the solutions and to, to not being content. And the other one, obviously, is, is community with God. Community with Him through spending time in His Word that tells us over and over again that there's more that He has for you and me, that He's not done with you, that we're a work in progress, and that He wants to keep transforming us into the person that He created us to be and become community with others and and with god will help keep us from becoming complacent see if we don't give the holy spirit the room and permission to work in our lives he won't we have to subject ourselves and put ourselves in places where we can receive from him We can only do that if we deal with sin in our lives and if we don't become complacent. In verse 17, we read part of what the result is of that. In verse 17, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's freedom. Isn't that what we all want? Freedom? That's what I want. And the more rooms of our life that we open to God for him to remodel and renew, I guarantee you the more freedom you will experience. Because his spirit is freedom and the more room we give his spirit, the more freedom he's going to bring into our lives. Freedom from fear and freedom from sin. Freedom from having to sin. 
freedom to make the right choices, freedom to be led by the Spirit in the decisions that we make and in the course that we take in our life. And you know, if you are here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, but you know you need that deep spiritual transformation. You need that transfer from being an enemy of God to a friend, from a stranger to, a, to his child, from living with guilt to living in forgiveness. Then I want to point you to verse 16 here. It says, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The veil that keeps us from experiencing God's presence is taken away. If you today feel in your heart that you have not turned to Jesus yet, that you have not turned to the Lord for forgiveness of sin and for transformation in your life, then that's the first step. And then His Spirit will come into your life and that Spirit is freedom. And that's the Spirit that will keep transforming you into the person, the woman and the man that God created you to be. And you will go from a life of meaninglessness to a life of purpose in him. I want to ask the band to come up as I want to give you one illustration here to close this message. And to me, it's the most amazing illustration and example of transformation um, in creation. And we're all familiar with it. It's the transformation from a caterpillar to a butterfly. Really, if you think about that, it is absolutely mind-boggling. You've got this little semi-ugly worm-like thing you know, and the life of a caterpillar is not the most glamorous, is it? Wouldn't we all agree? It's not the most glamorous of lives. You know, he kind of crawls along from leaf to leaf and he nibbles away, kind of like you and my life. Huh? Not, not, not really glamorous, you know, but we're kind of trotting along and we nibble here and we nibble there. And I wonder if a caterpillar ever looks up to it. Caterpillars have eyes? Let's pretend they do. I don't know. Should have done my research better. But Imagine a caterpillar looks up and he sees a light little beautiful butterfly just f rising up and flying. I wonder how often a caterpillar thinks, dude, that would be awesome. <laughs> Instead of crawling in the dirt to just kind of lift off and see things from that perspective. You know what? I do that sometimes. I've, I guess it's in humanity's DNA to want to fly, right? And Now even sometimes I look at these big birds, eagles, and think, how cool would that be to just lift off and fly and experience that kind of freedom? Well, I can't physically, but you know, the caterpillar can. So there comes a, a time in the life of, the, of a caterpillar where he just in and innately knows, he just knows it's time for change. Something's got to change. And so he goes and he makes this cocoon or chrysalis and, and wraps himself up in this tight, dark place. And I'm claustrophobic. So to me, that, that doesn't, it's not a very attractive proposal, is it? I mean, it's, and you know what? Often change isn't fun, is it? Often change takes us through dark times. It takes us through tight times where we just want to break out and we just want to get it over with. And I'm, I'm pretty sure the caterpillar feels that way. All squished up in that darkness. But you think he still feels that way when he breaks out of that? And he still thinks he's a butterfly? And he breaks out and all of a sudden he, he opens these wings. He's like, whoa! 
This is amazing. And all of a sudden, what used to be a, a caterpillar flaps wings and, and flies off and experiences that kind of freedom. You see, it's, it's that kind of freedom, but spiritually, that God wants you and I to experience. And here we are being so content with being spiritual caterpillars. God wants to give you freedom. He wants to set you free to soar spiritually and to be a wonderful, beautiful, obvious, undeniable manifestation of His love, His presence, and His power in your world. That's what He wants for you. Don't be content with being a spiritual caterpillar. Let's become spiritual butterflies. But we've got to give him the room to work that transformation in our lives. And that process isn't always fun, but it's necessary. So ask yourself again, are you an objective, undeniable manifestation of God's presence in the world around you? Or are you where the young man is that came to my office? Are you at a point where you, you still say, this is not who I am, this is not who I want to be? This is not what I want to be like. And I want to tell you again, God doesn't want you to be who you are right now either. Now, he, he loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to want to keep you that way. But you have got to give him the room to do this change. You have got to allow the Holy Spirit to do his job. Give him the room that he needs And I can guarantee you, because the Bible guarantees it, that the change, the transformation that you will experience will indeed be glorious.